Hey, peeps, this is Trish. I want to share something with you today. So back in the day when I was starting Spring OT, we had grown, we had some admin help, we had a therapist or two, and I had systems, let's put that in quotations, meaning I had like spreadsheets and Google Docs and more spreadsheets and a few emails. And finally, my therapist and my team, very small team, begged me to do something all under one umbrella. No more duct tape systems, they said, Trish. Please, please get a real system. So what did you do, Trish? Well, Ashley, let me tell you, <laughs> I always talk about time being precious and needing to buy back our time because we've only got two assets. We've got time is money and time is the most limited resource that we have. I'm on a mission to help OT entrepreneurs save that time, no more $10 tasks, so that you can use it for what really matters. And that is being the CEO of your company who can implement your growth. Only you can do that. Agreed. So, yeah, I know. I know you believe in this. So when you have systems in place, everything just falls into line. That chaos that you feel turns into order. The duct tape goes away. And you know, you become clear and have more control. So I want you, the listeners, to imagine what it would be like to have more time to pursue the ambitions and the mission and the impact that you want to have as you grow your OT business instead of just drowning in all those routine tasks. So you turned all that chaos into order and <laughs> yep. you got a system in place yep. and not just, you know, papers and Excel and duct tape, but you got an EMR that exactly. brought everything together. That is exactly why I built Therabyte for OTs just like you who are growing your business. And I know that that's a past version and a current version of you as you step back into working a little bit with clients. So uh, if you are still looking for that EMR to suit your needs, Therabyte is the EMR for OTs. So head over to therabyte.app to learn more about it. And if you want to hang out a little bit more with me, not only did I build the Therabyte, but I'm also guest coaching in Trisha's program, Road to 100K, until the end of June. We're so check that out, a, too. We're happy to have a systems expert in there. Thanks, Ashley. You're welcome, Trish. Take care. Therabyte.app. Hi there. Welcome to OTs Get Paid the podcast for OT entrepreneurs, where we learn about everything you need to know to move from thinking like a therapist to acting like a CEO and making good money along the way. Are you curious how to continue to be true to your mission of helping others as an OT and get paid what you're worth? Do you want to know the best tips that add zeros to your bank account? Do you wonder how other OTs do it too? I'm your host, Trish Williams. A Canadian, a mom, a not-so-closet choir nerd, an occupational therapist of over 26 years. I spent most of those years loving my profession, but secretly wishing I could get paid a lot more. Did I feel like I had an important job that had great impact on my clients and society? Check. Did I also wish I could feel validation in that work through getting paid enough to feel financial freedom? Check, check. So finally in my 40s, as a single mom who needed to get real with my income, I built two six-figure businesses, including my latest as an OT entrepreneur coach at Trish Williams Consulting. And through this, I heard the secret shame that others felt the same way too. So I'm raising my voice and raising my profile of this issue and probably raising my prices. I'm here to talk about OTs making money. So let's do like Scrooge McDuck and dive into those giant piles of gold coins and get swimming and start this episode. Welcome OT entrepreneurs to the OTs Get Paid podcast, episode 67. Today, 
we will be discussing how to get some of your time back using OT students. So, did you hear me say the magic words? Did you hear me say, buy back your time? I know you've heard me say it many times other than just today. Here's some other things I say. Stop doing $10 tasks. What about this one? Stay in your zone of genius. How about this one? A CEO isn't supposed to do it all. Outsource. I could talk more about productivity. I could talk about you staying and finding people to help you with fulfillment or operations or marketing and sales. You have heard this before. And in fact, the three pillars for the OTs get paid framework address this. I always talk about increasing your profit, increasing your clarity, and increasing your impact so that you can become an OT that gets paid, a get paid peep. And we have a guest who is coming with us today who has come up with a very cool solution to this problem. This guest is addressing the profit pillar by keeping expenses low and in fact, spoiler, getting some reimbursements for this. They are doubling down on clarity with really clear, clear goals on what they want to achieve in their business. They're not being reactive. They are being proactive because they know where they want to go. They know how to break goals down into projects and projects down into tasks. And you can't do this. You can't outsource to students if your goals aren't clear. And also addressing the impact pillar by finding their freedom in their own time and truly staying in their zone of genius. So let's talk to this guest. Our guest is an OT. You know, we love an OT business owner who has a love of the great outdoors and their passion is to share this with others. And guess what? In 2016, she bought a farm. And once she bought a farm, the wheels began to turn and the ideas started emerging. I need to let you know that this farm, woot woot, is in Canada. Not only that, woot woot, it's Ontario. And not only that, woot woot, it's outside of Toronto. So there's a hometown girl talking to another hometown girl. Those of you who don't live in Canada, by the way, I'm interrupting my own train of thought, will really hopefully have a better understanding of this country by the end. So if you're in Victoria, Australia, open up your map, look at where Toronto is, look at where Ontario is. I believe it's Gray County that Larchwood Farm is in. Okay, I digress. They started Larchwood Farm Nature Camp and envisioned it as a training center for OT students. Okay, are you hearing a theme here? And then with that student education, it seemed natural for our guests to dive into Nature OT and bring students along for the ride. And they're learning how to build together in the emerging sector of nature-based OTs. I just think this is so exciting. They also have quite a few different revenue streams, which I really want to dig into. And, you know, we first met online. We've chatted before, but we've never chatted. We now have a video in front of each other. We chatted on the phone and we've just kind of known each other in the sphere. I'm really excited to welcome Alana Davis to the podcast. Welcome, Alana. Hi, Trish. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you. You're so welcome. I'm so glad you're here too. So let us jump right in. Alana, how do you get paid? Meaning, tell us about you and what you do. So I guess first of all, I have to say that I'm a wife and married and I have two children who are twins and they're eight years old, Jules and Alex, (laughs) and they wanted a shout out. Okay, Um, Hi, Jules. Hi, Alex. Your mom (laughs) is doing amazing. People are excited to hear from her. And then to make money, I am the owner and CEO of Davis Occupational Therapy. And the sub-brand sort of that has emerged is Larchwood Nature OT. So that is how I get paid. Great. And I'm glad you corrected me because that's true. I have seen both. And that's important as we start to dig in to your different income streams. So let's go there like right now. So what are your impact and income goals Like, what have you done in the past and what are your income and impact goals for the company going forward? 
So we, I started the company in, so we're in year three right now. So we started kind of the late fall of 2019, just before heading into the pandemic. So I can share sort of year one, gross revenue was 27,000. And year two, we went up to 100,000. And so we're currently in year three and things are looking good. For our first quarter, we're at 27,000 gross revenue. So the goal, I guess, I'm aiming for this year is 200,000 gross revenue. And yeah, beyond that, I'm not sure. I just am playing it year by year right now. I still feel very new at this. Now, is this the nature-based piece that started in 2019? Because I thought you had started earlier than that. No. So 2019, what happened was I was working... I've always been in the private sector. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, sorry, the public sector. So in healthcare institutions in Toronto. So some of the big teaching hospitals. And I was working for a particular organization and in a program that I really loved. It was vocational rehab. And that program unfortunately got cut. Mm -hmm. And that was sort of the moment where I was like, can I do this on my own? Because I really love these clients. Um, So working with adults with brain injuries or recovering from brain injury, stroke, concussion, and then helping them return to work. So 2019 in the fall, I just started with that. But alongside that, just like what you were saying, was also the sort of other part of my brain was dreaming about what can I do with the farm that we have? So Mm -hmm. that was where the nature OT piece started to kind of creep into my mind. And yeah, I'll probably talk a little bit more about that, sort of how I took that idea to one of the universities in Toronto and said, hey, I've got this idea. Can you help me? So Okay. I want to hear more about that, but I know you have more numbers to share with us. So talk about owner's comp, talk about profitability margins. You know a lot, so I want you to share. So my owner's comp for last year, which was year two, was 40000 And that's essentially part-time work. So I try really hard to work sort of Monday to Friday, 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. And I take a considerable amount of holidays during the year. So I'd say I was just roughly trying to figure it out, but probably six weeks of holidays throughout the year. And I really honor my weekends. So I think I'm okay. I I, And I do sort of, there's so many other benefits, I think, that come with that 40K when you're an entrepreneur. The profit margin right now is about 25%. And and that's something that in this year three that I'm hoping to improve and take some deeper dives and look into our pricing um, and compensation, things like that, just to, to get make more money. (laughs) Well, you know, that's music to this brand's ears. Tell me how you've divided it up in terms of, I know you have some 21, 22 stats in terms of what the farm did, what Davis OT did, et cetera. Can you, can you break that down further for us? Yeah. So I've got like, there's, like you said, there's a few different revenue streams. So the Davis OT side of things is still sort of where I treat adult clients. Mm -hmm. And then the nature OT side, there's a few different sort of revenues streams within that. And then last year, just taking a look at sort of our year two, what was pulling in the most was our nature OT groups. So $43,000 revenue in the groups. And that was followed by the adult services that I was doing through Davis OT, which was 30000 And then finally, the third place sort of revenue stream was the private nature OT services that we're doing, so 24000 So I guess looking into this year, I'm trying to kind of pull away from the Davis OT. We're trying to do a little bit of work on the, the brand and streamline things a bit better so it's more understandable, and as well as me just trying to work on the company rather than in the company. So, okay. yeah. Thank you so much for saying that because I didn't know how to uh, how to bring that in <laughs> without sounding like I was like being unsupportive. <laughs> um, yes, I love that. And as you know, in fact, there's a podcast coming up soon about mastery and about doing the same thing over and over and over again to make money, not just boing, going out to a bunch of revenue streams. And you reflect a very similar brain that a lot of OTs have, which you have a lot of amazing ideas. I don't want to let the moment pass when I say that you have a knowledge base that you're bringing to these numbers that many of the people listening to this podcast envy, especially in three years. You 
know your numbers. You have not just, I mean, these are cool numbers, right? We're not going to attach much to, you know, the numbers because 40 to someone part-time is huge, 40 to somebody part-time. And thank you for highlighting those hours. That was an important, important point. You know, it's it's all relative. It's not just the numbers I want to talk about themselves. I want to talk about how you know these. And you've also talked about knowing your biggest seller. You've also talked about taking time to do a deep dive into looking at pricing and compensation, et cetera. That's a really big deal that you have this knowledge and ability. So I know that you were in Business Bedrocks with Laura Perk Figueroa. Unfortunately, she's not doing it anymore uh, from a global perspective. What other resources did you use to learn this? I remember you always saying, <laughs> know, oh your numbers. Yeah. know your numbers. Yeah, wow, me, oh my goodness. <laughs> and I really think that that started for me just this past January to really kind of take my numbers and look at them and understand them. I also love the profit first framework. So, mm. you know, and that was part of what Laura yep. had also kind of put forward to the group that that was an important piece that she really liked. And, and so yeah. I built the spreadsheet and I've been using that. I think that's been really helpful just to understand the revenue streams. And then I did have a bookkeeper for a little while to train me how to do my monthly reconciliation. So now I understand that a bit bit better. I'm still very like the numbers and like that side of it is still a huge learning curve for someone that's, you know, just a, a clinician coming into owning a business. So, so yeah. And then the last thing I would say would be like, just the network, the community of OT entrepreneurs, my nature OT entrepreneurs, yeah. like besties, yeah, the business bedrocks much. besties. Like yep. we just all help each other. We share things that we've put together and and that helps too. And just to also like celebrate our successes. Like I remember texting them when I was like, I think I just passed the 100K mark. And yes. they were like, what? But yeah, so it's it's a number of different things that are helpful. But yeah, just knowing who you need to go to to help look at numbers. My husband yeah. is in finance. Yeah. And he doesn't really help me. No. <laughs> so it's I have really, other people. Yeah, I'm glad you said that. So I do want to let people know that are listening that I have a podcast. I had to look it up. It's season one, episode nine called Overcome Your Fear of Numbers to Build the Business of Your Dreams, where I brought on my bookkeeper. Because the story goes that I put myself through bookkeeper boot camp and you'll hear Heather talk and we talk a lot about the fact that I would get, I would cry <laughs> and then I would get a little angry because I was just mad at myself. So I'm not pretending. Thank you for being so honest. I am in that episode too. And I have a Know Your Numbers lesson in the module of increasing your profit and I've spent a lot of time on that module for the different groups that I run because you can't go to the finance guys. Hey, Trish. Yes, Ashley? As an OT entrepreneur who's just starting to make money, I bet you've thought, oh my gosh, I just got my first few clients. What the heck do I do now? Don't worry. At Therabyte, we have you covered. We heard you and we created intake and consent templates just for you. So you've downloaded the template and now you can say, amazing, I know exactly how to get my client started. Oh, I wish I'd had this in the beginning. I pulled everything together and needed something this efficient. Okay, so where can listeners find these templates, Ashley? Super easy. The link will be in the show notes. You just hop over to our website, find templates, and you've got your download. Sounds great. It's like. I've done the same thing, like loads of my, I've told this story. I have lots of friends who are real business people, men and women, as they identify. And it's like, there's something to be understood. Like we're all kind of coming from the same place. And after hearing multiple, multiple stories and knowing where you've been and knowing where I've been, like, I feel like I can come in to say, this is where we're at. And this is what you need to know. Like it's, it's clear for the OTs and it's, not about how to read a profit and loss statement. I, st I mean, I can read them now, but I still don't love them, right? I can barely read a balance sheet and don't ask me to, but you kind of don't need to, right? And so I love the fact that you have made that point. Like, 
don't necessarily go to your finance husband because I don't think they can teach you in the same way that you learn from Laura or the same way that I'm teaching people because we need a different set of templates, a different way of looking at the numbers and recognizing, yeah, we're, we're clinicians. We're not business people. Yeah. No, yeah. that's totally right. Yeah. And, and like you, I don't know these profit loss and these balance sheets. Like I'm in the QuickBooks program. I'm Me like, too. I don't really know what to do with that information yeah. each month, but exactly. I don't know. I'm trying my best. And yeah. Well, your we'll best see. is amazing because <laughs> I'm hearing some great things and I didn't want to let that pass by because I was really impressed. So let's jump into the meat of this, which is you proposed this amazing idea of coming on the podcast to talk about using students as benefiting your company. And I thought I knew a little bit about using students. I have in the past, but boy, are you blowing the lid off of this. So Perhaps we can pull the pin. It's it's now a two-part question. We're going to pull the pin out of the, how did you approach the university with your nature-based idea? And then let's segue into how you decided to use OT students to not only decrease the profit. By the way, an interviewer would never, a good one would never ask a question this long, but roll with it. You know, you <laughs> decreased your expenses by using them and you also made some money off of using them. So why don't you tell us that story? So I guess like I was saying in 2019, um, you know, my husband and I had had our farm property, which is outside of the city. We'd had it for three years and I was starting to take my summers to be up there with the kids when they were out of school. And it was time for me to think about a way to kind of leverage the farm and couple that with, you know, being an OT. It just made sense. And then just kind of bumping around in the World Wide Web and seeing that there was a few really cool people, Laura is one of them, uh, mm -hmm. who are doing nature-based OT. So mm -hmm. it kind of, this idea just started to percolate in my, in I was dreaming about a nature OT camp. So just a real inclusive kind of camp for kids that had neurodiversities and yeah, how would I, how could I do this? And so I initially, I just reached out to University of Toronto. I knew I had some connections there in the fieldwork department and just said, hey, I've got this idea. And I remember like that day having this call, just standing at my kitchen island, really didn't have a ton of like, I didn't, you know, I just had a few notes jotted down and just kind of pitched it to her. And she was like, this sounds amazing. Yes, I think this would be a great fit for students. Like it's a a trendy, you know, it just was like a really fun thing that we could make into a project because I didn't know how I was going to do it on my own. Mm -hmm. I needed help. So what better help than to get some master's level OT students to kind of come along for the ride. So from there, you know, there's some sort of standard things you have to do in order to start taking or putting forward fieldwork placement offers at universities in Ontario. And that starts with kind of putting you have to sign an affiliation agreement. So, and then you have to put forward a fieldwork placement offer. So there's a lot of things to consider and I can go into those too. But yeah, essentially it was, I just put in an offer for a student during a particular time of the year that I thought it would work just to do program development. So that's also something to consider. There's different types of placements here in Ontario. And so those placements sort of, there's some that are less clinical and more program development based. So that was really what I was looking for. And I still really love those placement opportunities. So first of all, I love how you've described how organic this is. And I want people to remember that you don't have to do everything perfectly. I know there's a lot of information out there. And don't discount calling somebody from your kitchen island. That's actually how I got my first university teaching job. I actually was in the United States for a long time. My son, I only had him. My son was one. I remember I came back from the United States. I had been away for a while and I had called a former prof of mine and I said, hey, I'm back. I don't have an Ontario license. I have a one-year-old. I'd love to do something. And she said, why don't you come and teach? It was quite the same. It was literally a phone at the kitchen island. And it blew the lid off of what I wound up doing in the university sphere. 
and that, you know, it snowballs. So please don't discount that organic phone call. I know that, like, I'm big on lists. Take the quiz. Find out what to do next, et cetera, et cetera. And I never want people to feel constrained by that. I want you to feel free with this information. But if free means standing in your island and calling somebody, that's good, too. Don't forget that. So you started out with the university students working on program development. What happened after that? So I had my first student in the spring of 2020, and it was a virtual setup just because of the pandemic. And what she worked on during that was a needs assessment and program development for a OT camp model that we could essentially pilot that summer of 2020 at the farm. So she worked on, yeah, basically putting together an entire curriculum binder for me, you know, building some sort of schedules, also thinking about, you know, training orientation needs, because we were building this model to be dependent in a way on students coming in for their placement in the summer. So another batch of students coming in. And that was in order to kind of keep it very accessible from a financial perspective for the families up in Gray County. It's a definitely a different demographic than what's down here in Toronto. It's two hours north of Toronto. And so, yeah, so I was kind of thinking about this would be a great opportunity for students to come to the farm for their placement and stay here and we could run this camp. So So that was sort of what Regan did in her first placement. And then we hit the pandemic. We weren't able to pilot it that summer. So unfortunately, I couldn't have any students. They kind of pulled out. Um, So I have affiliation agreements with U of T, which is Toronto, and also Western in London, Ontario. And yeah, so then it was just kind of, I tried out a few things during that summer of 2020. And then we were able to actually hit the ground running summer of 2021. So I had three students living on the farm with me. Wow. Yeah. That's so so cool. (laughs) We don't have like the, you know, the best infrastructure, but finding accommodation is really challenging up there and especially in a pandemic. So that was something I had to kind of lean into and I purchased a bunkie. So this essentially that's like a little cabin (laughs) for those of you that don't know the bunkie Those of you that don't speak Canadian. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. One bunkie and two of the girls uh, stayed in that bunkie and then one of them was in the farmhouse with with my family. And so they had one bathroom to themselves in the farmhouse because we're lucky that there's three bathrooms. And then they shared our kitchen with us. So it was a very busy summer, but it was lovely. And they were incredible and kind of, you know, just doing it alongside me. So it was myself as the OT and three students and we ran four weeks of camp at the farm. So it was very successful and busy (laughs) and lots of hard work. And then, yeah, since then I've continued to use students in the spring to do program development for other different initiatives, ideas that I have. And then in the summer, um, this past summer, I had four students again at the farm. They didn't stay on site this time, but rather we found accommodation off site and they came on each day to do, to help run three weeks of the the camp. So yeah, that's how it's sort of set up right now. Yeah, I'll hand it over to you. (laughs) I I think that's phenomenal. I want to ask you a question. I'm not sure quite how to phrase this, but one of the things I hear over and over and over from people in my groups and people that I coach is I know I'm supposed to offload some of my tasks. I get stuck on even that. So it seems to me like you had a very clear list of what you wanted these students to do. Is that just like, this is where I'm stuck on the question. Is that just your nature or did you have like prompts from the school or did you like have to brain dump a whole bunch? Like, how did you get to the point where you were like, aha, this is what I want them to do from a really, really clear, like step by step by step by step by step by step. I think it's a lot of collaboration and really I see myself as an equal to them. Um, By no means do I consider myself an expert in nature OT or even pediatrics. It's it's definitely a whole new area for me. So I think just coming together, meeting on a regular basis, I kind of throw them with an initial idea and I just want them to kind of project plan. So what what will that look like to them? And then like just it's that constant collaboration and eventually it takes form. Okay, so I really... I. I love that program development piece. And yeah, I think that 
with the right sort of mentorship and coaching and guidance, you can get a student to kind of keep things on target. You can start to create some sort of a Gantt chart or something to, you know, keep them organized. But usually I get them to take the lead on it. They've Mm -hmm. had, like my experience so far is they've had some of this project management curriculum. And so they are familiar with sort of the steps to kind of completing something. And, And I just give them kind of, okay, I want you to start with a lit review. I want you to do this next. So yeah, it's just that gentle kind of coaching, but then they can kind of take it from there. I'm so glad that you said that because I think so many of us forget that you can, you don't have to own it all. You clearly have good relationships with the schools. I remember way back in the dark ages when I was on what they used to call an atypical placement. Like, you know, I think they're so common now, like one of yours, but we were like... I remember in the mid nineties, like being put into a very different, again, atypical Mm -hmm. placement. And that was like, minds were blown. Right. And I, I think we still own so much that we can actually remember to turn it over to some really capable students and ask the school for some help. You don't have to know it all. I love how they also came up with some of the point by point. That's such a good nugget there, Alana. So what other projects do you have? Like, because I want to give people some ideas here too. What are some upcoming projects that you're having your students do in the end of 22, 23? So I will likely take another student in the spring, probably more than one actually, because the two things on my radar, we want to update our, our Nature OT camp curriculum. So we'll get a student just to focus on that. There's some ideas that we have with wanting to make it really more nature-based, taking away from like, I don't know, scissors and paper and glue type crafts, but really Mm -hmm. leveraging um, nature and just kind of giving it a different spin. So a student kind of looking over that and just diving into that will be very helpful for it's something that a student can do because I can just guide them and say, okay, this is what we want to do. And then another student that I will get will be for helping me with a research project. So I recently was awarded a grant through our provincial body here in Ontario. So I have a research grant and a research proposal that I'm expected to (laughs) sort of, you know, use the money towards. So I will utilize a student to help me with some data analysis, some writing, maybe poster development, all the pieces that go to, you know, doing research. So we're doing a bit of a pre and post study with group participants. And so we'll start gathering data this fall, later this fall, and then have it all ready for the student to kind of help me analyze and start writing up in the spring. So that'll be a couple students in the spring. And like you said, those are those are the atypical type placements. And here in Ontario, they call them LEAP placements. They're leadership emerging kind of fieldwork placements. I don't know all the, the acronym, but Those are especially really great, I'd like to say, for entrepreneurs who don't have like a full caseload, perhaps. Like I don't, we don't see clients from nine to five every day. So we can't offer just like a typical clinical fieldwork placement. So these ones I love because I can give them a mix of, you can come out and help me on the weekends when we do a nature OT group, but you can also do program development with me during the week. So it's great. So good. So good. You mentioned a grant, and I don't want to skip over. You're not only saving in terms of expenses by using students. Outside of this grant, you're also getting money from the schools. Tell me about that. Right. So, yeah, that's a great little financial incentive. I didn't know this. um, The ministry, the MTCU, which is the Ministry of Training Colleges and Universities. I don't know if that's federal or provincial. Maybe you know. Anyway, they award you $50 per week per student for these clinical fieldwork placements. So then you submit an invoice basically to the university and they pay you this money. So there are some universities that sort of stipulate what you can use it for, or they kind of want to know what you're using it for, I guess I should say. So they may send out a survey just to see what you're using it for. If you're using it to buy, you know, resources or take the students out for lunch or things like that. But yeah, it's definitely a nice little pot of money that you can use to kind of develop anything within your company. That is great. And again, we recognize that not everybody here is in Ontario, much less this country. And I think the answer to that is go call your local university with an OT program. Call the closest and find out because that is a point I never knew. 
Let's lean into the pros and the cons because you've learned a ton about having master's students, master's OT students in your business. Tell me some of those pros and cons. So yeah, so I've I've talked about this a few times in the past. So I have <laughs> have notes that I can refer to. Good, great. We love like, a note. It's just they're generally the students are very motivated, eager. They have an interest in nature, especially if if that's kind of what I'm highlighting as as the opportunity. Mm-hmm. You know, my my experience so far is they're pretty keen, they're smart, they're pretty academically strong in the master's program. It's it's very competitive in Ontario and Canada to get into OT. Like there's not a lot of spots and those spots are highly coveted. So, you know, you're getting some some good, good students. They're very tech savvy. It's just the generational thing. So I, I kind of, I lean into that. I learn a lot about Instagram from them because I do, <laughs> I do have them do a lot of my social media when they're on placement. So that's just another piece. I had my team piece. take over our clinic social media in the last year that I had it. I was like, it's a Pippa Instagram takeover <laughs> of Spring Absolutely. OT. It was great. Leverage what you got. Yeah. Another point is they've got access to journals because they're students at a mm-hmm. at a university. So you may not have that yourself as a business owner. So that's nice to get some of that evidence-based knowledge. It's a great way to recruit. So just to let you know, I have nine team members right now. Of the nine, three of them are past students. Okay. So it's it's lovely to be able to welcome them back, especially when you've had a really great experience with them. Obviously, the financial piece of it, not only the $50 a week kind of incentive, but also just keeping costs down or very minimal if you want to trial something. So an example I can kind of speak to for that was in the spring of this year, we had a couple students. There was three students working on development of um, a mindfulness program for adults with ADHD in nature, of course. Mm -hmm. Um, And they were able to kind of develop it, put it together, build the curriculum, but uh, they also were able to pilot it for me. And we just did it as a donation only. So any participant that came in just donated to a camp scholarship fund for the kids. And that just allowed us, yeah, to try it out, see what people thought of the curriculum and the students facilitated it. They were great. They like Mm -hmm. just ran with it. They really enjoy having that autonomy. If you're... I'm that kind of a person though. So I'm very much able to hand the reins over to students. And I really, yeah. So the, as soon as they come in the placement, I say, okay, I am like, I really want to be your equal. And if you have ideas and thoughts or feedback for me, please let me know and, and just have fun with this. This is going to be great for your resume, I always say. so. Well, and so, I know yeah. we talked about earlier that one of your brand pillars is community. It's not just, you know, the way that you, communicate with your clients and families and parents and caregivers, et cetera, but you're taking this to the next level. And that's, I wanted to highlight that because those of you who do core values, those of you who look at your brand pillars, it's more, it helps guide you in so many ways. And this is another way that this shows up in Alana's work. I didn't want to skip over that part. And so what about some cons, Alana? Yeah. So, you know, it's, you're, you sort of have to consider how much time it's going to take to take a student. So there are weekly meetings that you need to do um, to check in with them, mentor them. There's midterm and final evaluations, which are quite extensive yeah. and, and they take a lot of time. So so just kind of knowing that and not ex- overextending yourselves. The, a lot of the universities are just desperate for placements. So, they so may, they're like, here, take four. Yeah. So I took four this summer and four may have been, you know, a few too many because yeah, it was a ton of work and I, you know, they may not have benefited it as much as they could have just because I was so stretched. Um, So yeah, so just be conscious of that. They have varying levels of students. So in our master's programs in Canada, it's a two-year program. So you could either have a student who's in year one or a student who's in year two. So kind of thinking about what you're looking for and when you want to make that offer, what time of the year it is. So they just could be also varying levels based on their academic strengths. The quality of workmanship can vary because of that. So just keeping that in mind. It is risky. So I am learning that that it's a chance you take. You're not always going to get the perfect match or they may, yeah, it might not be their gig. And I have to like honor that and I have to make some changes actually to the summer camp model so that it isn't so highly dependent on students, but rather we could, 
you know, financially do it with paid OTs as well, and maybe just like one or two students. So, so not sort of putting all of our eggs in that basket. So, so yeah, so those are some of, some of the, I've got more considerations, like thinking about to like mental health issues and learning disabilities. They're quite prevalent right now. Like, yeah. You mean in the students themselves? Yeah. In the students themselves. So kind of understanding that and being able to meet those needs and, and, unplanned absences because of things like that kind of cropping up. So you have to, yeah, you have to be able to kind of flex to that. That's, yeah, it's been especially important. I think that, yeah, I was talking to somebody recently about this too. And and these students in these programs have had two years, which was primarily virtually. So you have to consider that too. They may not have a ton of like face forward clinical experience. and, And if that's what you're expecting them to come in and help you with, and support you, then it could be tricky for them. Did you feel equipped as an OT to deal with the mental health issues and the learning disabilities that your students brought in? I think that yes and no. Like it, uh, I think you should lean into your the team at the university. They're there to, to support you if, if some challenges are kind of cropping up, getting in touch with the fieldwork coordinator right away. Because sometimes these things aren't disclosed right away (laughs) to you find out when the student arrives so just um know your university's there to support you I also reached out to like you know friends and colleagues that are OTs and sort of trying and then just obviously just being very open with the student what are your needs like how can I meet them so just having those really you know down-to-earth conversations about and yet and you're learning with them about you know how best to accommodate them did you find that they had a certain level of self-reflection and advocacy that surprised you or that and I and I truly don't know the answer to this question as I ask it it varies from student to student so I've had students that are extremely strong in Mm self-reflection self-awareness journaling writing their feedback being able to critique themselves or Mm -hmm. and then I've had students that just are really lacking in that Mm -hmm. skill and I don't you know, I don't know if it's just a fault of the curriculum or mm-hmm. it's just not their style, but it's extremely important when you're on a fieldwork placement to be able to reflect on how things are going for yourself and oh, be yeah. able to communicate with it with your yeah. preceptor. So, yeah, you may have to coach or mentor them in those kind of aspects in order to for them to get the most out of the placement. And it's interesting because I have left my roles in the university, and I know that maybe it was, I can't remember, everything's a blur, maybe four years ago that I left really. And as that's when the awareness of how many students with disabilities were coming in and how we needed to bend because we weren't doing a super great job accommodating them. So that's partially where I ask. Now, I need to cover my butt a little and say the University of Alberta completely leaned into it and I have no idea what they're doing now. I expect it's great because they started doing it in a great way back then. And I have an 18-year-old and a 21-year-old and they have me as a mom. So they're actually really good at that (laughs) because they both had mental health challenges and they both have varying degrees of learning challenges. And my kids talk about it really openly and honestly. And now my daughter, she's pretty sassy. She's a really funny kid. And she'll say like, you know, mom, I think you just need to accept that like everybody our age has this. And then my son, who's like really serious, any grandfather, he's like, well, I believe the uh, diagnostic criterion for this, you know, maybe we're just capturing too many kids. I'm like, okay, that's a really fun dinner topic for us. However, I think I live in a bit of a bubble with my own teens because they are so aware. But the point I want to get at before we start jumping into our last questions is I really think my daughter has a point. And that's why I didn't want to skip over this. You went through so many brilliant points and we're spending a tiny bit more time on this one because I really truly believe that so many of the young people in our world, I think it's almost it's almost a given in in varying degrees, right? Of depression or anxiety or whatever. I'm not a mental health therapist. And some learning challenges. And I love that you highlight that because I I would have maybe been caught a bit flat-footed if I hadn't had my teen experience or my university teaching experience. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad that you bring that up. Before we jump into the rapid fire questions, I want to talk about the systems. When you are considering 
about to embark on putting like forward this offer to take a student. Can you talk briefly about the systems that you needed to have? Because that's such a hot button thing that people come to me with. Systems. I need operations. I need systems. Can you give me like a quick down and dirty of what you needed in place? Sure. Yeah. So we had, we started putting together like an orientation checklist. Okay. So what is it you're, you want your students to know within the first few days of their placement? So it's pretty extensive when they come up to the farm. We've chunked it out. It's, we do two weeks of orientation at the farm before we, before we have kids coming on to go to camp. So quite extensive orientation process up there. Standards of process. So we're always creating SOPs here around, yeah, just things they need to know around COVID protocols, first aid, you know, instant reports. It's pretty much similar to what you'd want for your staff though. So it's just like your student is coming on and you sort of have access, they have access to all these SOPs and you you should have them reviewing them. And some of them you'll go over, you know, in person with them. But, and also on the other side of that is an SOP for your team members who also may be supporting you and the students. So what's the expectation? What What's their role if a student's coming with them to co-facilitate a group or something? So just being very transparent and what the expectations of your team are. Are you going to gift them something or a bonus or is there some sort of an incentive for them to be helping you out with your student? Or are you co-supervising and and you're not the primary supervisor, but you're sharing it with someone. So just thinking about the team and sort of the impact on your team. But yeah, those are my, you know, sort of that, those standards. And then I always invite them. They're always invited to all of our meetings and we do like a monthly, monthly check-ins. So of course the students are part of that. And then they would even be on like, we have like a I don't know, a WhatsApp group. So it's just to kind of chat about clinical situations and give each other advice and stuff so that they're part of that as well. So they really kind of are embedded into, you know, the company and the organization and the culture. This is a jam-packed episode and there's so many beautiful points in here. I'm just really thrilled with everything you're sharing. And I'm so excited for the people that are listening that are like, bing, light bulbs all over. We're going to change the tone a bit and we're going to do some rapid fire questions. You ready? I'm ready. Let's change it to more about you than just about, you know, the topic at hand. Okay. What is your biggest personal splurge in your life? I tried so hard to think of something spicy (laughs) and fun, but like, I really don't have it. I'm telling you. Oh, no. So I really think it's just travel, which I know is a lot of us answer that, but that's, yeah, it's been a big part of our life and we're happy to get back to it this year. So we've done- OTs are a pretty modest group, I got to tell you. So it doesn't surprise (laughs) me. Okay, what is a trip that you're hoping to take? Tell me about something on the horizon. Tease us. So yeah, this year it's been pretty tame. Uh, (laughs) So uh, hopefully we'll go a little more international in the coming years. But yeah, I think my husband and I just want to get back into Europe. We've got some friends in Ireland. We haven't been to the UK, London, so we'd love to spend some time there. So I think, yeah, that's kind of on our radar. We used to do like, you know, before kids and stuff, these three, four day weekends where you just Mm -hmm. fly to Paris. So Okay, uh, so I used to live in New York City. This is a completely true story. Pre-kids, we had more disposable income back then, even though we had lower salaries. And Virgin Airlines started. So this is how old I am. This was probably 99, I'm going to guess. 99, 98, 2000. And Virgin Airlines had just started and they had a round trip ticket from New York City to London for $99. Right? I know. And then, uh, no, 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 wait a minute. I think it was London or Paris because I don't think we flew into London. We flew straight to Paris. For, it was kind of one of those. You remember that MasterCard commercial? Like, how can we afford not to? We literally were like, uh, how can we afford not to go to Paris for the weekend for 99 Absolutely. Those are the best trips. Oh, the olden days. Okay. What about biggest business-related splurge? So far, that's been the bunkies, the little cabins <gasps> at the farm. Yes. So, yes. um I acquired one last year and then we put another one on the property this summer. So there's two of them there now and they're quite cute. And now, and then off season, I Airbnb them. So (laughs) when the students, when my team's not using them. So this summer, one of my team members, she was managing the camp with me. So she stayed in one of them. 
And then the other one we had open for families. So we were starting to see some families coming up from the city who want to go to the camp looking for accommodation. So yeah, there's mm-hmm. kind of opportunity there. So I find I it's have, kind of an investment. <laughs> yes. And I can picture when the twins are older, they'll be like, we're not staying in the main house. That's yeah. silly. We're going to commandeer the bunkies. At least that's what I used to do when I was older in Ontario, yeah. you know, nature. Okay. Last question. If I could wave my magic money wand and put seven figures into your business right now, what would you spend it on? I guess I would just put it into the farm. So I'd love to finish the loft off in the barns. We have like a proper team space up there, a place where kids can come in and we could do more all season programming (laughs) as long as we had a heated spot where we could warm up and have a washroom and just like, yeah, upgrading the trails and things on the farm. I think the farm property is where I just put that money. How many acres is the farm? So the farm's 101 acres um, and like 60, 50 to 60 acres is still farmed with hay. And then the rest is, yeah, a beautiful forest and a creek and a pond. Oh, that sounds incredible. How can people find you? Because I know people are going to want to reach out after hearing you on this episode. Yeah, so people can find me at davisoccupationaltherapy.com. That's the website. And social media or fairly active on through a couple different handles. So Larchwood Nature OT is the one and then Davis Occupational Therapy is the other handle. So that's, yeah. Thank you so much for being here today. You're very welcome. This has been OTs Get Paid, recorded live in Studio C. That's Studio Closet. I'm Trish Williams. If you have feedback on today's episode, send us a DM on IG at OTs Get Paid or join our Facebook group at OTs Get Paid. We would really love to hear from you. We'd also love it if you could subscribe and write a review for the podcast. Each month, I'll pick a random review for a shout out to get your name and business on the air. Until next time.